Well, hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast 2020. We're up and running again this year. The qualification process is complete. And this week on the pod, we talked about the group stages, which are coming up next week. We gave our predictions for the groups. We talked about who is going to win the tournament, dark horses, top scorers, and everything in between. Today, the collection of humans around the table is Mr. Oliver Wilson, Mr. Peter Kouassa is joining us, no Joel Richards and myself, David Windsor. And we were on location this week, Wilson. That sounds like you're saying no Joel Richards or myself, David Windsor, like you weren't here. <laughs> kind of a, yeah, it was like the media. An enigma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bird's eye view looking down on... The mystery. Yeah, big time. Well, we, Joel was delayed by the State of the Nation address. Um, which well, it's Masado, Joel Richards. That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. I don't know how long it takes to say we're all just banking on Bokra River winning the Libertadores to financially get us through the next Well, it took year. us 90 minutes to, <laughs> to come to that conclusion. Yeah. But we were we were out and about for the first time in Wilson and Windsor pod history. And this works quite nicely. Yeah, right? it's, it's a nice tucked away, tucked away in a little bar in Palermo, which is in the north of Buenos Aires, Argentina. And yeah, it was very, very pleasant we're, indeed. We're growlers. Let's give it a shout out, to be Jesus. honest. <laughs> We're at Growler's Bar. Think of our location away. Also. Can always come back if they want to throw some beers that way. Yeah. yeah. We are open for sponsorship as well. Yeah. Uh, if Growler's would like to get involved officially, I'm putting it out there for us. Um, no, this is this is a better way to do it. I, yeah, I don't like the music, but apart from that. Ah, it doesn't come through on the microphones that much, so it's okay. all right. We're okay. We just pretend it's not here. Uh, no, it's, it's good. It, quite literally a roundtable debate. Uh, wait, well, no, no not quite literally table. because the table's <laughs> I meant rectangle. that we were around the table <laughs> and talking, but yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> ah, we'll cut that out in editing, <laughs> it's fine, right? Leave it in, own it, own it. Um, uh, yeah, we've done every single group. It's been a long old slog, but like, got through it. Yeah, we dissected every single group in the, in the 2020 Libertadores, so enjoy the pod. <laughs> Redes to try and kill the tie off! The vital away goal in the first leg and the Libertadores group stage ceiling goal in the second. Back in and kept alive as well and rifles into the back of the net. Oh, that is just <laughs> exquisite! Fidel Martinez, you are sensational! I was really surprised how much I enjoyed and how much jeopardy there was with the qualifiers, which sounds like an obvious thing to say because clearly it's the qualification to the group stages of the Libertadores and it obviously does mean a lot. But I was surprised just how, first of all, how many big clubs are in that point of the competition. Yeah. And it did feel like a tournament within a tournament. Uh, and I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the whole qualification process. Yes, it's quite long. It's a six-week process from the first round to the third to the uh, to the end of the third round of qualification for the Libertadores. But I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. But do you not think there are more big clubs because there isn't such uh, haves and haves nots in South American football in general? So there are a lot more clubs that have got a lot of continental pedigree from various parts of their history, whether it's current history like uh, like a Gremio or or way back in the day kind of thing so you're always seeing at least one or two big names in those qualification you rounds mean you're seeing it's, it's and giants and spread. stuff well, it's just a bigger spread of teams that yeah. can win the Libertadores yeah, okay. the, the ups and downs day. are, qu- are far quicker in, uh, in South America though so mm-hmm. the protection that you get from being in the Champions League for example of the 
the money that you then get from the following year protects you to some extent in terms of securing your place next year as I think in South America that's not quite obviously there's financial benefits to being in the Libertadores but you see a team if they concentrate too much on the Libertadores and not win it to the detriment of their league form then they miss out altogether the next year and that's quite a common thing that you get a team do very well in the Libertadores maybe quarterfinals semi-finals and they're not being it at all the following year because mm. it was their dominant thing in the previous calendar year so it's definitely a case when you look at the yeah, qualifiers and even the Sudamericana, you get teams in the Sudamericana who are on the historically are very big mm-hmm. and the same in the qualifiers. And then certainly I agree, this round of qualifiers, because of how much it means to so many teams, even just reaching the group stages, did have a sense of already being fairly significant. It's a hundred, uh, it's a million dollars a game, isn't it, in the group stage? That's the value for each team? I think it's. I think I saw that. So it's a lot of money if you get into the group stage. It's six million US dollars for these sides, which, which won't feel like a lot of money to anyone that li- anyone that follows European football and, and listens to this. But yeah, it, comparatively to this continent and with these clubs, it's yeah. an awful lot. Of As, especially if you're a side like a, a Deportes Tolima or someone like sure. that who doesn't have that same kind of gravitas, perhaps, and yeah, yeah. obviously isn't exactly a world name in in, in footballing terms. Mm-hmm. So. I think even the established names, maybe not in Brazil, but established names in Argentina even, for that, that amount of money would be significant. I mean, you only need to look at the transfer dealings of even Boca and River in the last window to yeah. see that they weren't splashing the cash. They're going in more or less with similar squads to they had last year. We'll certainly come on to that with River, I think, at some point mm. in this chat. That's astounding. No, but yeah, just going back to the, the qualification, and yeah, I mean, Corinthians were in the second round of qualification. I mean, Sarah Porteño, you know, that went out in the third round. So, yeah, some huge clubs involved in the qualification process, and some huge clubs went out as well. Do you think there's almost, I think I mentioned this to you, Dave, earlier in the week, there's a possibility that we end up being kind of spoiled by the qualifying round slightly, and suddenly you go into the group stages where it's not life or death almost in, term, in footballing terms, is it? It's right, well, you can accept a draw or, you know, you lose away from home. It doesn't matter as long as you pick up a result in two weeks' time when you're back on home soil. Whereas, particularly the last round of qualifying, you know, we had some big names involved. We had some very tight affairs and, and it felt like knockout football as in the round of, 30, uh, the round of 16 or the quarterfinals or semifinals. Sure. Suddenly. And you could be a bit crap as well in the groups and still go through. We've seen that, you know, even with River the last few years. You can kind of work your way and feel your way into the group stages and, and find a, and gain a bit of rhythm and then you know win your last three games and go through but in the qualification process not like that at all like Sarah Porteño I mean you guys did the game battered in Asuncion it was the standout result really with the exception of Corinthians going out of, uh, of the qualification process yeah uh, and they weren't very good in the first leg and deserved to go out to be honest in the end because I think we've all been captured by the effervescent performances of Barcelona throughout the qualifying rounds takes us neatly to group A <laughs> the group of death Windsor, I think you should start on this one because you're uh, what you've just you've done the Recopa, both, yeah. both the Recopa games. So you've seen Independiente del Valle and Flamengo mm-hmm. in their new form. You've done Barcelona a few times in the qualifying stage as, as well, and uh, you're doing a game or two in the coming week as well for this, right? Yeah, I think Group of Death is is the cliche, but it couldn't be more accurately presented. I don't think in in relation to this Group A and the Libertadores 2020 because you've got Flamengo, obviously the winners in 2019 against River, Independiente del Valle finalists in 2016 Sudamericana's Sudamericana winners last year Junior of Colombia and Barcelona of Ecuador who as you rightly say in the in the three rounds of qualifying you know scored a ton of goals looked absolutely fantastic so 
you got four teams. Actually, when I was looking through this, looking at Group A, something that jumped off the page of me was some of the odds and whether you were gambling, whether you were gambling or not. Independiente de Valle Junior and Barcelona are all 50 to 1 to lift the trophy, which is absolutely massive, right? Like, it's a huge price for three really, really good sides. But because they're in this group, that price is massively inflated because only two of the four can go through. Uh, yeah, I think it's Flamengo plus one, but who that one is, is anyone's guess. I think that's going to be the most entertaining thing. Um, and you look at this group, the final group game is uh, you've got Flamengo against Junior. You'd imagine Flamengo will have wrapped up the group by that point. This is all with a massive expectation that Flamengo are still the best side on this continent. Which they which, are. Which they look like they are at the moment. Um, you never know what happens, obviously, in, in competition football. But the other game that evening, Independiente del Valle against Barcelona, could be a shootout for who gets that last spot to go in behind Flamengo. Because I can't put anything between what I've seen of Barcelona in the qualifying rounds so far uh, and the style of play is actually quite similar to the way Independiente del Valle played in the Sudamericana last year. And they've kept a large bulk of their squad from last season that know how to play with each other. Um, and, and, and play an exciting brand of football. I'd put it down to Independiente del Valle or Barcelona, and I, whoever's lucky enough to be covering that game that week should have an absolute banger on their hands if it does go down to the wire. Uh, Barcelona, obviously, incredibly impressive in uh, throughout the qualification process, reached the semi-finals in 2017. I know Fidel Martinez scored eight goals in qualifying, which when you consider Gabby goal, scored nine goals throughout the tournament last year to finish top score. So Fidel Martinez, is, <laughs> he's basically got it, doesn't he? Uh, but I just, if I was just allowed to talk a little bit about Damian Diaz, the number 10, because I'd never seen him, I've never heard of him before I kind of dropped anchor on this continent. He is, he's like the absolute typical South American number 10, isn't yeah. he? I mean, he doesn't run. Like Pete, I think before I did the first Barcelona game with Pete, you said like, oh, he's, he's quality, uh, never made it a Boca because Riquelme was there at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong. And, but he's this number 10 that doesn't, he doesn't run, but he's just, he, he's just such a joy to watch. I mean, the nutmegs, the tricks, the flicks, the vision. He plays football, you know, he's almost walking. It's, it's fantastic to watch. Yeah, the first couple of rounds against Progreso and Sporting Cristal, I mean, he ripped them to shreds because they gave him so much room dropping back and he was just orchestrating everything he found things a little tougher I thought against Cerro Porteño yeah, yeah, but okay. still was able to have an influence and I think in part because probably he, he still draws people to him which creates space for Fidel Martinez Emmanuel Martinez so I think they were the standout team from the group stage uh, from the qualifying and it's worth pointing out as well that in the years the three years that we've now had three rounds of qualifying they're the first ones to have gone from round one all the way into the group stages so they're already a trailblazer in that regard but they certainly go into a very difficult group and you look at them and think you wouldn't be surprised to see them go through behind Flamengo because they were that good they can easily compete with every single team on any night in that group except for Flamengo where the big question mark is yeah and, and but in the Libertadores on home soil I'd say there's less of a question mark about it mm. you know that stadium in Ecuador was absolutely rocking when Cerro Porteño turned up it was a fantastic atmosphere and they played him off the park and the thing I like Damian Diaz is either he's going to get no time at all and that's going to be hugely beneficial for Pineda and Velasco coming up from the fullback positions to support the two Martinez's in the wide positions in that front line or teams are going to cover the flanks so much that Diaz is going to have the ability to pull the strings so he's yeah. either going to be non-existent or he's going to run the show 
So it's going to be a real like hot or cold kind of competition, I reckon, for the uh, the central midfielder for Barcelona. I can't wait to see him at the Maracanã because he's a luck. I mean, luxury is, is the absolute word for him. Like, he's a complete luxury. If he gets loads of the ball, fantastic. He can he can pick the locks. But if the game bypasses him, then you're playing with ten men because he doesn't defend. Uh, Oli, you saw so much of Independiente del Valle last. Well, you both did saw a lot of Independiente del Valle last year. They look great against Flamengo in the Recopa. Like, listen, history books will show that they lost 5-2 on aggregate over two legs, but it was a lot tighter than that. And I've got to say that Preciado Sanchez right flank is so exciting for them. Uh, they, they've done it over the last few years and, you know, Pejorano sitting as well in front of the back four, really, really liked, really enjoyed watching them in the Recopa. And, uh, yeah, I think they got a great chance of going through in the group. And they got the pup as well, who can sit in the middle of the park as well, Efren Mera. Didn't play him in the Recopa. I know, which I was surprised about, to be honest, because he was such a key figure yeah. in the Copa Sudamericana last year. Um, John Sanchez is an excellent football player. I mean, he stood out in the semi-finals and final more than Dahome, who's now moved on. And that's a, it's a shame, it's a big loss, but it's not the end of the world for Independiente Del Valle. And Preciado was a 17 last year, now 18, I think he is. And when he came into the side and looked young, he matured very quickly over the course of the competition and had a really nice link-up with he and Sanchez or Dahomey, whoever was playing in front of him, because they like to switch over quite a lot. So I think you've got a Spanish coach who's brought in a bit of a European ideal and style to Independiente del Valle. They've got a relatively consistent, in historical counts, production line of young players and giving them chances and they've now got a team that the bulk of it has stayed so they know how to play with each other they're in Quito with the altitude which there are plenty of sides that have that advantage but there's definitely a reason to say that they will be in the knockout stages and even further down in this competition they'll be perhaps a hipster's choice if you will and certainly a bit of a shock if they go any further than the quarterfinals of the competition. But how, but how much further, how much longer can they be seen as underdogs? Because I think I had in my script for the Recopa game, I said the one underdogs about three times. And then I kind of checked myself to say, how can, if you keep, you know, at what point do you, are you still an underdog? Yeah, I know we could talk about financial, uh, a lack of financial parity with them and someone like Flamengo. But at the same time, they reached the Libertadores final. They won the Sudamericana. So, you know, the underdogs... I don't know how long it can stick for. But you'd say in a Champions League group that Sevilla are underdogs. Now, they've got great European pedigree at the Europa League level, but you would still argue that Sevilla could go into a number of Champions League groups and be considered underdogs against a number of big sides. And so I see Independiente del Valle as kind of like that. They've done it at that Sudamericana level where we know the competition quality doesn't really step up until some of those sides drop out of the Libertadores. What can prevent... Flamengo from going through the group and winning it. I mean, they were the best side in the competition last year, even though they just squeezed through the final against River. They're the richest side in the continent by a mile. They've only lost Pablo Marie, and I say only because we can talk about him in a minute. He's, I think he'll actually prove to be a really, really big loss for them as centre-back. But they've, they've spent money again in the off-season. What can trip them up? Is it just Pablo Marie leaving and, and the, hole that that, the hole that that leaves? Or is it themselves? I mean, I, I asked the question, is it harder for Jorge Jesus to keep the squad hungry or is it harder to keep the squad happy uh, hungry I don't think will be an issue the finals at the Maracanã this year right they want to be the first back to back winners of the Libertadores since Boca 20 years ago or something like that so is it harder just to keep harmony within that camp there's a lot of egos there but they were juggled perfectly last year sure. there's no reason why that model wouldn't work again if you're talking about managing players egos and off the pitch Jorge Jesus needs to do just exactly what he did last year 
you know, he, he's got his experienced European guys that can come in and say, look, this is how we do this. He's got his fiery forward in Gabby Gol, who's, of course, suspended for the first leg of the Recopa because, oh, yeah, he got himself sent off at the end of the Libertadores final, you know, because that's what Gabby Gol does. Sure. And I think that could be his temperament is one thing that could be a big problem for them. But they yeah, still have always the, been a problem. Mm. But they still have Bruno Enrique who can carry the load in goal scoring, let alone creating. Yeah, I, th- I think losing Pablo Mari is a big loss, but the fact that they managed to secure Gabby Gold on a permanent deal, which is just unfathomable for any other club mm. in South America, and keep Bruno Enrique is huge after the year they had. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything they can do to short safeguard themselves almost against failure this year. Because I just think you look at the Libertadores, it's just a astonishingly difficult competition. And even though... You look at last year, Flamengo were the best team in South America. They still had a few moments where they could have gone out. Sure. When you look at... Penalties in the knockout stage. Emelec, yeah. Emelec. Even the group. Um, and then obviously the, last group the final game. itself was like, for 89 minutes, they were the second best team. And yet, just turned it around and ended up deservedly over the course of the year being crowned champions. But it's not the kind of competition which you can come into it and be still like confident that any team can go on and certainly win back-to-back titles so you don't think nine to two to retain its good odds four and a half to one i can see why it is but yeah. red so, hole favorites yeah they are fa- they, and they sh- sure. should be favorites but i just think the liberty stories is such a tournament that it's very difficult to sit there with confidence and say yeah they're gonna do it again yeah i would completely agree with pete there on that i mean you've got to travel to a lot of places that are a fair fair trip away and then you get into the knockout stages where you can't afford to make mistakes. And as we said, they almost did against Emelec. They were so close to being picked off. They had 45 minutes of excellent football in that first knockout round last year against Emelec in the first half of the second leg where they came back from 2-0 down to make it 2-2. But is it and then Emelec again almost picked them off time and time again on the counter-attack. But that was a long time ago. I mean, Jorge Jesus, did he, was that his first touch? It was pretty much he just, was his first just yeah, touched yeah, yeah. down, hadn't he? So I don't know, you're looking at... Yeah, and, and I do think it's worth pointing out as well that now that the Libertadores is spread over a whole year, mm. does make it a much. It make, makes it adva- an advantage to the sides like Flamengo because I think we'll come on to the likes of Boca and River obviously later on, but they're able to like look at the first half of the year as we just need to get through the groups, then we can reassess everything in June, and I think we saw River not really do much business probably with that in mind in terms of we've probably got enough already in the locker to get through the groups and we can reassess in June and then see what we need and that and to be to some extent that's what Flamingo that Flamingo did last year I mean look who they brought in in June for the second half of the year yeah. really improved the team and then pushed on and won it so I think we'll probably be seeing that again this year round a lot of teams just looking at two halves of it predictions for group A yeah I was going to say a bit early for the whole competition, I guess. Although I imagine you'll be asking that at some point at the end of this podcast. Sure, but two to go through from Group A. Got to go with my boys Barca. Yeah, and? <laughs> I have to, and Flamengo. Okay, Oli? See, I'm torn by that second spot because I fell in love with Independiente del Valle last year, but Barcelona are something... How many sides go to Asuncion and Cerro Boteno and win 4-0? Oh, yeah, but only once... Cerro got themselves down to 10 men. That yeah, was a I would big like moment to say as well, although I'm going with Barcelona just because this group, the qualification has been fantastic. Independiente del Valle are the benchmark, I think, for how to run a football team in South America. Sure. When you look at the mismanagement across the continent, 
and you have a team there without spending much money. They're in the final of the Libertadores under 20 um, tournament today against River and they just won the Sudamericana with a young team. So It's a great point, them. isn't it? It's yeah. not just the buy low, sell high model. It's promote from within as yeah. well yeah, and, yeah, and great scouting, yeah. So I will go with Independiente Del Valle to be that second side. I'm going to double up on Pete's prediction, go Flamengo and Barcelona. There. All right, well, let's uh, get into Group B, which is it's not quite perhaps littered with the big guns like Group A is, but I don't think any of them can match it in terms of competition and quality, although there are a couple further down the line that may. But we do have uh, Bolivar, the Apertura uh, winners last year in Bolivia, uh, Club Guarani, who were the third-place side in the aggregate table in Paraguay, Palmeiras, third in the Brazilian League, and uh, Tigre the Copa Super de la Liga winners in Argentina now playing Copa de la Super Liga or Copa <laughs> de la Liga or I don't, what, what did they settle on in the I, end I think they actually changed it midway through yeah they, were they got rid of the yeah. la did they or, or they the got rid of the de la yeah okay so yeah Copa it, Super Liga initially it was Copa de la Super Liga and then they were like fuck this Copa <laughs> Super Liga <laughs> alright Copa Super Liga <laughs> winners uh, now in the Segunda Division uh, now Argentinian football has changed to remove what happened with Tigre last year yeah. from the equation unbelievable the little side note of now the Copa Superliga has been changed from a knockout tournament last year to this year it's like a, a group stages with the top two a top two from each group going into the semi-final yeah. stage and those points from the groups will now count towards the league table points in the Superliga so even though the Superliga is finishing next weekend those points and relegation battles 11 games as well significant amount of games <laughs> it's a lot of points on the table yeah, that you yeah, can yeah. get out of jail it's um it's ludicrous yeah, yeah. so it's Boca one for the Galasso podcast to yeah. dissect <laughs> we'll, we'll Wilson, stay- Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores <laughs> podcast is above our above our station <laughs> but, um, but those are the four teams in group B uh, Palmeiras with no big Phil Scolari anymore which is a big shame but another big name another big name and Mr. Luxemburgo uh, former Vasco coach and of course an ex-Real Madrid coach uh Tigre, who, eh. I mean, Tigre and Bolivar seem like they're going to be the whipping boys in that group. Yeah. And Club Guarani matched what Barcelona did in terms of going through every single round of qualifying and then booking their place in the group stage. So just as Barca, we were waxing lyrical about them. Their thunder was kind of stolen the next night by Guarani, who were also able to do it and did it in impressive fashion, albeit against Chile inside Palestino, who weren't great. But there's something about a couple of those players in the Guarani side. I mean... Redes stands out yeah, particularly yeah. on that left side as uh, a very capable attacker that can cause problems for a lot of people. And he's still a kid, you know, he's 19. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was fantastic, yeah, for yeah. our qualification. Real difference maker. Another change to the Libertadores as well is worth bearing in mind is the fact that teams can now buy without being cup tied. So yeah. the fact that it's now a year long means that June window could be really interesting with players like Redes or, I don't know, players that went out in the qualifying because I think some of those bigger teams will then be probably actively scouting the Libertadores group stages for those type of players Dave you did Palmeiras quite a lot last season uh, in the knockout stages you were on the Gremio games with them saw them a few times at least a <laughs> <laughs> little, un- little unsure with the nod of the head but in terms of you never felt I don't think anybody watching them felt like they were a serious contender they had a huge drop off in the Brazilian Serie A after the Copa America break mm-hmm. where we were told that people basically stopped taking bets on them winning the league title yeah. and they had something like a seven point lead and it was like it was all over and done with going into the Copa America and then crumbled. Flamengo came back and 
I think Palmeiras, yeah, Palmeiras finished third in the end. But there's, there's, I don't believe in Big Green this year. I didn't believe in them when they played against Gremio in the uh, quarterfinal. Uh-huh. I didn't believe in them really when they almost went out to Goddard Cruz in the first knockout stage. I don't really believe that they're going to be turning up the trees, trunks, so to speak, and, and making a making a massive impact in this Libertadores. Yeah, they were just too defensive last year. I thought they had loads of really good players, but they fell victim to that. If you take apart Flamengo, is something, you know, from what Flamengo have done is quite groundbreaking in terms of winning the Libertadores with free-flowing football. Palmeiras were just a representation of that kind of ugly side of defensive Brazilian football, despite having quite a lot of money. I mean, they haven't won it since 1999. Uh, one thing that I was, I heard the, the uh, World Football Index boys talking about the artificial pitch that uh, Palmeiras have got, which seems bizarre. Palmeiras have got an artificial pitch. Shouldn't be happening at this it's level, should it? Absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I will dig into that in greater depth at some point. But yeah, no, that that was I found that unbelievable. Nine to one to win it though, so you know they they think they're third favourites to win the whole competition because of the size of their football club and obviously they've got a boss now who after Phil Scolari left they've got uh, you know a name on the continent won the Copa America before didn't he? Sixty seven now Andre Luxemburgo. I can't remember how he did at Real Madrid. Wasn't very runners well, was up it? in the title. It was only like a six month yeah stint it was brief. So, wasn't it? It was more of a caretaker filler role, but yeah. So I think they've also got a nice draw, which helps with the odds, because potentially I think people will be looking at it as they'll definitely get out of that group. Sure. And then, as I say, it, it's a second. It's almost like a second tournament once you can get into the second round. Hence why Palmeiras are nine to one and Barcelona in a Benfica fifty to one. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt that Bolivar and Tigre aren't expected to get through this group. I mean, Tigre, no. uh, what was magical last year about the Copa Superliga run, Pete? Uh, I have to say it, it bypassed me slightly because I was still getting to grips well, with what Well, if you're a Tigre fan, an awful lot, presumably. <laughs> you know, they must have been. I mean, they are Tigre, so it's in the... It's kind of like a posh neighbourhood of Buenos Aires, like in the north of the city and a little yeah, bit out outside by the, the city river. Limits. It's outside. In the, the f- province of Buenos sure. Aires, yeah. But you were saying, Pete, I haven't been to the stadium before, maybe you have, but it's slightly closer in, like near San Isidro, but it's yeah, in the, yeah. it's in the a- comparatively affluent north yeah, yeah. of the city. Yeah, I mean... Does the football club reflect that or not really? Not it's really, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't really, but at the same time, last year was astonishing in the sense that they'd already... Their relegation is already guaranteed. And then we went into this new <laughs> cup competition, knockout competition. Copa Superliga. The Copa Superliga. And they just kept on winning and winning and winning. Sure. Um, the problem being that they've now lost a lot of the players that were quite central to that cup run. So Lucas Menossi went to San Lorenzo straight after. Federico Gonzalez went to Estudiantes. Lucas Hansen went to Vélez. So they now have the look of a team that are playing in the Primera Nacional in, in Argentina. So it's a slightly bizarre turn of events that sees a team from the lower leagues playing in the Copa Libertadores. But unfortunately for Tigre, I think that's going to show when we start next week. But a comparatively night, you know, Guarani have come through three rounds of qualification. Bolivar obviously aren't, uh, you know, obviously they'll have uh, the addition of altitude. But it's, it's a nice group for, if you say Palmeiras plus one, it's a nice group for someone else to, to squeeze through. And wow, all of a sudden you're in the knockout stages of the yeah, Libertadores. Yeah, I mean, they could have been in a group where you said they're going to no get chance, yeah. tonked <laughs> every sure. week. But at least when you look at this, you do look at... I mean, their first game, game against, first game is against Palmeiras, but... Yeah, that. but certainly they're going to target probably home games against Bolivar and Guarani and say, potentially, if we were to win those, six points suddenly you're probably in, yeah, the, in the running for that second spot. I think Guarani are going to be too impressive. For Predictions them? 
Guarani and Palmeiras straight through. Palmeiras winning the group. Relatively comfortable for both of them, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably go along with that. I think, as always, it's going to be Bolivar a problem at home and awful away. Yeah. Yeah, okay, hat trick then. Palmeiras, Guarani for me. Boom. Group C, which is one I quite like the look of. Um, Atletico Paranaense, uh, the Copa do Brasil winners. Colo uh, Colo, who were second in the Chilean league. Jorge Vilsemann of uh, Bolivian football, who were the first, uh, the winners of the Clausura. And uh, Peñarol, who came second in the league in Uruguay. Now, Atletico Paranaense, big Brazilian side, of course. Uh, two Libertadores titles? I'll have to double check that, but yeah. I think it's two Libertadores titles. I mean, recent, uh, won the Sudamericana in 2018, I think. Won the Copa de Brazil last year, yeah. so yeah. And, and uh, we're a difficult side for Boca uh, in both the group yeah, stage yeah. and the knockout stages last year. Peñarol, who dropped out in the group stage uh, with that draw uh, in Montevideo against Flamengo, could have done mm. the rest of the continent a big favour by putting mm. them out and didn't, and Liga de Quito went through as well instead of them. Uh, there's a good chance for redemption for Peñarol, but they have lost two of their more influential players since they got knocked out of the Libertadores last year and Brian Rodriguez and Darwin Nunez uh, to LAFC and uh, Almeria respectively but they, sorry Ollie, I was just going to say they're one of those clubs that if you if you don't follow South American football at all you've heard of Peñarol right like I mean yeah. before any of us had even set foot on this continent like I, I'd heard of Peñarol 15 years ago because I mean, they're five-time winners of the Libertadores, albeit not since 1987, which is a long, you know, that's an awful long time ago now, like 30, 32 years ago. So, you know, but the fact they've won the competition five years, uh, five times, I know that doesn't mean that they'll be any good in 2020, but it just adds that, uh, it adds that pedigree, it adds that bit of cachet to Group C. Yeah, there's a lot of gravitas because you look, you've got... A, and Diego Forlan, of course. A big Brazilian side, you've got a big Uruguayan side, in name at least. Colo Colo are a big deal in Chile as well. I yeah, mean, yeah. That's, uh, it's not a team to kind and of. And they won the Libertadores yeah, back in 1991. Love the fact sheet. <laughs> Love the fact sheet. With the fact sheet in my head, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so there are three big teams in that, in that group. And then, again, it's Bolivian football just seems to kind of be the whipping boys a bit on this continent. Well, so there I are 150 to 1 to win it, Jorge Wilsterman. I personally so won't, be, a chance. I won't be putting a pound in that, but, you know. In for a penny. In for yeah, a pound, yeah. Uh, but I think it's a good it's a good three-way battle to get through that group. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a group which looks, on paper, fairly tight when you look at it like that. I think, yeah, as you say, Jorge Wilstermann are, are probably going to end up being the whipping boys in the group. Despite potentially at home, again, posing some problems. We saw their runs to the quarterfinals a couple of years ago, but... Other than that, I think they're going to struggle. Um, I think it's, it's it's one which is there for one of those big teams from the three bigger nations to really take a grip of. And I think all of them will be looking at the group with the hope of reaching the knockout stages, which would be an achievement, I think, for all. I mean, you mentioned Peñarol's pedigree, but recent, in recent years they've struggled. They've always course, kept going yeah. out in the group stages. But I think with Diego Forlan now back in it's charge. It's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. And I, and I think it, although obviously there's clear question marks over Forlan as a manager, sure. it's his first job, but it does add a certain cachet to the to the club. And it, it's the kind of story that will, you know, if let's say Peñarol go on a great run or something happens with Forlan, it, it, 
just transcends the continent a little bit. You know, Man United fans will have a look at that. Yeah. But, um, you know, Paul Lam is a, is a really recognisable name in European football. So, yeah, yeah it's the kind of story that would just uh, And it's resonate. a club that always of has talented young players come through. So you mentioned some of the good players that left since the last year, but they have another 18-year-old, Facundo Pellistri, coming in, who's already been linked away from the club. But I think he's going to be someone who Forlan will look to get the most out during the group stages. So I think they're potentially still quite an exciting team to watch. And Atletico Paranaense, they lost uh, Bruno Guimaraes to Lyon. Uh, got a fair bit of money, around about £20 million. Pounds, uh, going on with that loan, which is expected to become that's a, a permanent deal. Yeah, on this continent, that's a lot of money. Um, Leo Pereira went to Flamengo. Yeah. Marco so Ruben went back to Central as well. So it's not an Atletico, Atletico Paranaense side. I'm trying <laughs> to be as consistent as I can with nice. this. Um, that is perhaps on a Libertadores potential winning sort of side. Certainly problematic for anybody, but if Colo Colo and Peñarol can give them good games when they're on home soil against the Brazilian side, then there's a chance that maybe they miss out on making it through the group stage. I, it's a tighter group, I think, than yeah, yeah. I initially, when I first saw it and looked at the groups when they were drawn, it's a tighter group than I think I realised it was. Predictions then? The Brazilians top the group with Peñarol going through second. Yeah, yeah, I'll go the same too. I don't know about the order, but I'll, I'll stay Peñarol to go through. Uh, Peñarol to top the group and Atletico Paranaense to finish second. Are we on Group D? Yeah. Rifling, rifling through this. Um, this is a fun group. This is a really fun group. If you want some difficult tasks away from home, you've got them. If you've got, if you want plucky underdogs, you've got them. If you want continental pedigree, you've got them. I was going to get around him, but we're on Group D, so maybe I can say that for the next. Yeah, yeah, we'll moment. do four, and then we'll we'll have a little <laughs> pause for a beer. And no, then you guys can keep chatting. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Yeah, Deportivo Binacional, the league winners in uh, Peru. Liga de Quito, second in the Ecuadorian League. River Plate, Copper Argentina winners and uh, losing finalists last year. And Sao Paulo, sixth place in the Brazilian Serie A. Uh, Pete, let's, let's start with you on this group. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a group that River would have not been happy about at all. Um, obviously coming in as beaten finalists with the expectation as ever of going all the way, but it was not the easiest of draws they could have gotten. I think... When you look at Sao Paulo, their pedigree are always going to be complicated. And then two horrible away games against Liga de Quito and then the maximum altitude that you can possibly get basically against Binacional. 12,500 feet above sea level. Yeah, I mean, I saw them last Give year. Give or take. <laughs> I saw them last year against Independiente in the Copa Sudamericana. Okay. And at sea level, they were pretty <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was a complicated game away, and I think all the all the teams in that group are going to discover that. Um, I think we'll we'll see Binacional lose three away games, um, but cause real problems at home. Um, so I think when R River look at it, um, yeah, it could have been a lot nicer for them. I think also it's worth saying when we talk about again the t the split in the year, River is certainly a team that didn't really do anything in the transfer window, building up to the start of the tournament. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, certainly as well, when you consider... That you can say they didn't lose many, but they lost a key part in Palacios. 
and they are when you look at River at the moment they're lacking someone like Palacios in the midfield someone who can go box to box went to Leverkusen of course yeah yeah and he adds a lot of drive to that midfield which they currently are making do by often in the league switching to a 3-5-2 but I don't think that's going to be what they're going to want to go through for the rest of the year so I would imagine Gachado's thinking we still have enough to go through and then in June we can see what we need to bring in to really kick on in the tournament well they they drew this weekend against uh, Defensor y Justicia yeah. which is their first draw though since the loss to Flamengo in the final of the Libertadores yeah, they've won every game since then since the restart yeah. so, so since they actually started concentrating on the Super League are they? But, but also that move to the 3-5-2 hasn't necessarily been a negative impact on their obviously their form they've still been able to get the job done yeah it's not been in the same style but they have got the job yeah. done and I was thinking about this earlier like with Gachado I think it's such a smart thing to do to look you can't bring you haven't brought in new players so stuff isn't really being refreshed in terms of the squad so what do you do instead you change the style you make the squad learn a different style of football which will pay dividends first in making it different and keeping the players engaged and interested when they could very easily in that riverside you could get a little static if there's nothing new coming in through the door mm -hmm. but also it means that you've got another uh, tool in your belt for when it, you get into the Libertadores. You know, oh, are we going to approach this as a 4-4-2? Well, we're great at that. Are we going to approach it as a 3-5-2? Well, we know how to play that as well. I, th I think it's just another great tool for Gachado to have and shows his man management and his tactical adaptability on show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what cuts him above almost every other manager in South America is that, that he does have a variety of different uh, styles to his to how he wants River to play and he'll adjust them to who, who they're playing. I think the one real bonus to this switch has been Robert Rojas, the Paraguayan defender who's come into the side really in 2020 and become one of River's most important players. So the switch has enabled Gachado to finally get the best out of Rojas and going into a tournament situation where they're going to need to rotate the squad, I imagine, with the, week, with the league composition as well. Now they have an extra centre-back who's at the same quality as the others that they've shown. So that's certainly been a plus. Um, and I think for the opening weekend, what we're hearing we're going to see is a almost second-string river in the Libertadores sure. because the focus is going to be on securing the Superliga title next weekend, um, which is a change because what we normally see is Gachado yeah. and River focusing everything on the Libertadores and the league's a second thought. Just to reiterate, it's the first time that Gachado will potentially win the Argentine Superliga, the Argentine Domestic League yeah. with River. I mean, he's been there five years because the focus has always been on the Libertadores, which is the yeah. Holy Grail. But this time is he, he wants to complete the set, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. And I think it's also interesting because what they were doing in the first half of the Superliga season, which started in the second half of 2019, is focusing on the Libertadores and their results weren't particularly great but such is the Superliga season in Argentina this year that nobody's really wanted to grab the ball by the horns and go and win the thing and so even with, with River dropping points they were able to get to the end of the year still in title contention and then restart 2020 and say hang on a second Libertadores doesn't start for seven or eight weeks we can kick on here and win mm. the Superliga before even the Libertadores begins and they've virtually done that so it's been the perfect scenario for Gachado to be able to balance the two. I just, I just wanted to say one thing about Gachado, really. I know now every contact or every bit of information you're supposed to have is supposed to be from a contact within the club or on Twitter. But the taxi drivers in Buenos Aires that are River fans, 
they have always said since my first day here, which is about a year ago now, that he will see out his contract in 2021, right? And that, I always used to think, well, what, what on earth, you know, what, what would they know more than anyone else? And everyone else was, you know, he got really heavily linked to Barcelona and even in England, he was linked to West Ham at one point in Everton. But the taxi drivers have always said he's not leaving till his contract finishes, which is it summer 2021. And that has always been the, that's always been the push from them. And, and it, it feels like now, well, if he didn't leave after reaching the third Libertadores final in, in five years and losing against Flamengo, he's, he is going to see out this contract. Mm, what if well, they it's win? a year away. No, but what if they win the league, but yeah. then they, for some travesty, they get knocked out in the group stage? Well, it's no, not an easy group. Yeah, but it's Gachado and it's River and yeah, the Libertadores. Yeah, sorry, they, I can't be amazed at that. But it would be interesting because I think it will, it will pose another question if he wins the league. Because then it will be a case of, it. I've literally won everything. The longer I stay here... And then Barcelona want him in the summer or something. What, what more do I add to my legacy at River if he stays? I mean, you can always say, oh, you could win another Libertadores. You can, but any time he then doesn't win it, it's seen as like... Oh, How many more do I need <laughs> yeah. to get for you? If I win one more, then I'll find happiness. You know? And, and uh, I think that the problem with when he's the manager, the expectation is they win it. Yeah. And yeah. any time they don't, it's almost seen as failure which is a very, very difficult bar to have to live with. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have Mr. Joel Richards here, our resident uh, river expert. And he's, uh, sympathizer, I think he likes to be known sympathizer, as a river, yeah. river sympathizer. Expert sympathizer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still um, waiting for the invitation of another Asado on his balcony. But I don't think that's coming off no, his, yeah. a no-show today. I've dangled the bait a few times, but he hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't bitten. Probably why, mate. <laughs> uh, elsewhere in the group, um, Liga de Quito. Uh, they've got Christian Martinez already firing on all cylinders with six goals in the first three games of the league campaign. So that's quite a nice scoring run to have going into the uh, opening group games coming up this week. They've lost Anongano to China, which is a bad move considering everything that's going on coming out of China at the moment. <laughs> Not many players suddenly dying to get to Chinese <laughs> football. Well, that's, that's, that's no nothing matter. But. I mean, it's just un unfortunate <laughs> that you go to China, leave South America where they've had hardly any reported Incidents of the coronavirus. Me, yeah. Knock on wood. And uh, yeah. Um, Anderson Julio's gone to uh, Liga MX and Orihuela has gone too. It's three big names from what was an exciting Liga de Quito side, particularly playing down the flanks and on the counter attack. Three big names gone. So, how they're going to compare to last year's side that were eventually heavily beaten by Boca but caused a lot of problems for a lot of teams, uh, particularly coming out of that group as well. Yeah, I think Junior Sonasa coming in is a, is a strong signing. And they've also brought back the manager who was in charge when they reached the final of the Libertadores back in, what was 20... 2008. No, no, more recent than that. Liga de Quito? 2016. Yeah, 2016. When they reached the what, sorry? Libertadores final. final. When they won it? No, when they reached the final. Yeah, okay, sorry, won it in 2008. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was with Edgardo Bowser. Okay. Losing charge. in the final, come on. Yeah. Irrelevant. <laughs> Edgardo Bowser was the manager then, and now they bring back the manager who was okay. in charge when they reached the Nostalgia, final. Pete, or is that is the basis? I mean, yeah, there's always room for a, a hefty <laughs> dose of nostalgia in South America. Um, but, I mean, this is this is fairly recently, so it's... it's I, I would say it's more a positive than simply just clawing at historic straws, but um, I think they're all, Liga de Quito are always going to cause problems to teams when you have to go to Quito. Um, the question is going to be whether they can pick up enough points on their travels. Which will be tough going to Sao Paulo. Yeah, and River. I mean, and then obviously we will 
mention again, Benassi Nola away is going to be a horrible away trip as well, even if even if Quito are the most accustomed to playing at altitude. Uh, also, Benassi now, they're a new football club. Yeah. They were founded in 2010. It's only their second season Same. last year. Yeah, in the if top you haven't flight. seen the club badge. Oh, this is a mate which you can never do justice <laughs> to on a podcast. I've, I've, I've got it. You know, just it yeah. down, but it literally just go on and look. Being us in our uh, club logo, it's worth yeah, looking at because it is. It's a. Well, it's a go mess. on David T. Windsor and he'll tweet out a picture of the logo. I'm sure at some point <laughs> in the yeah, next 24 hours, seven followers <laughs> will be all over. <laughs> or Golasso Argentina. Well, Golasso, no, or, no, that's yeah. a really fall under my remit. Oh, yeah. underscore yeah. J. Yeah. Underscore Wilson. No one. <laughs> uh, Sao Paulo. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're a huge club. Won three Libertadores tri- uh, titles, and they were they beat Liverpool in the final of the Club World Cup in 2005. So they've got pedigree, spent an awful lot of money. Uh, you know, Alexandra Pato, Danny Alves as well is there. So that, that's a nice little... Uh, Danny Alves is an interesting one because he's pretty damn old now. So how useful he can be of the Danny Alves that we know, getting oh. up and down. On a continent where Manuel Adebayor and Roque Santa Cruz are... Still kings, yeah. Pushing 40 and, <laughs> yeah. But and I also Pato's think that comes with a huge financial burden of signing. It's not just... Danny Alves, the old guy that's bringing back, it's you have to put a lot of money into bringing Danny Alves back, yeah. and that comes with the expectation of going a long way in the Libertadores. It's not just, mm. oh, we're, we're in the group stages, we'll see what happens. So I think Sao Paulo are, are there to to make an impact, yeah, to make a really big impact. Yeah. Twenty-five to one to win the tr- to uh, yeah. to lift the trophy. Well, Pato is a thirty-year-old as well. It's not that peak peak, you know, that you'd say if somebody was twenty-eight, twenty-nine, but not far off though. Yeah, and. It's mad what happens with what's happened with his career though, isn't it? it? Just, I mean, he was the next big thing yeah. out of Brazilian football when he went to Milan, and it just didn't, never came to fruition. Uh, there was he always had bags of talent whenever you watched him, yeah. but there was just something on a match day where it wouldn't, everything he tried wouldn't quite work out. Every pass would be a little bit off. You know, his shooting was never quite ruthless enough mm. to be able to find bags of goals, and he wasn't quite the creative. Most I saw of him was in flashes at Chelsea as well, and did nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that. Nothing. Barely, yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if the well, at least he'll play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was, he's going to be the key figure yeah. for them going forward. Um, so, who do you think is going to going to go through from the group? If you say B Nacional, I'm going to say not getting another bit. Well, I'm going to say B Nacional because <laughs> I just I don't know. It's, uh, uh, their logo is just a combination of the fact that they're only ten years old and their logo is enough for me to see them through to the knockout phases so of the 2020 <laughs> Libertadores and also River, of course, will go through. It, I mean, joking aside, it's a great story that Binacional are even on this stage when you consider how new the club is and them winning a title already in the t- to qualify for this is astonishing. Do I think they're going <laughs> to progress the knockout stages? No. My <laughs> prediction is going to be River and Sao Paulo just because I think it's a group where you look at the, the financial flex of two sides that... It's too much for the other two. I'm going to go with Liga de Quito and River to go through. Yeah. That, it's not a bad one. Not a bad shout. It's disappointment for Sao Paulo. Yeah. I'm going to get a drink you guys can discuss. Group E in America de Cali's defensive lineup and everything uh, everything in between. The, the honey, please. Honey, the, Pete. The amber. The amber one. Yeah, 20. Uh, so let's get into group A, B, C, D, E. There we go. Numbers not great. Alphabet's not great either. Uh, group E with America de Cali, uh, the winners of the second half of the Colombian season, the finalza, I think it is, something like that. 
They don't call it the clausura. It's not a clausura in Colombia. It's a finales oh, yeah, or something yeah, like that. The there we go. Uh, Gremio, fourth uh, in the Brazilian league. Internacional, seventh in the Brazilian league. And Universidad Católica, the uh, Primera champions in Chile. Which, this group is really about the battle in Porto Alegre, isn't it? I mean, this... This was what, when we were on comms on the Inter uh, Deportes Tolima game the other night, it was all just basically building up to let's have Gremio and Inter. Yeah. We missed out on a semi-final with them last year. Let's have at least two banging group games yeah. between these two. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the biggest derbies in South America. So to get it in the group stages, so we'll have it twice, is, is amazing. And it's certainly, even actually when you go through the entire group, all eight groups, it's probably the standout individual tie of the group stage. I mean, it's that bigger game. Um, Internacional, obviously, coming through the qualifying and without looking particularly impressive, it has to be said. Yet to concede, but only scored three goals, maybe two. Yeah, I, think I mean, the, and, and it shows when you see them play that it's a bit plodding. It's very slow. Well, they're just a team that, like last year, the whole problem in the quarterfinals and the knockout stages was they haven't given themselves enough pace particularly on the flanks you know they were they're playing yeah. uh, de alessandro um instead of uh nico lopez and and basically choosing a front i think at one point they had a front three that was over 110 years old combined yeah. with um i have bruno F no not bruno fuchs that's a new center back um Rafael sobis sobis yeah, yeah. sobis guerrero and de alessandro as the front front three it was awful lineup in terms of injecting any sort of pace into it. Wellington Silver's gone, Nico Lopez is gone. They do have uh, Max Guillemi now, who has who came on with five minutes to go in the first half of the second leg against Deportes Tolima because there was a realization of we need to inject something into yeah, this yeah. team because it's so static at the moment. And he did exactly the same in the second round qualifying um, against Universidad de Chile. Just suddenly injected some much needed pace. But that's my concern for this international team is that where else does the, the not the creativity because D'Alessandro still has that quality to be creative with his left foot but it's just too slow and the game has to be played at such a pace that I just don't see them causing enough problems for a decent side and particularly a Gremio side that what did I miss uh, moaning about Internacional being okay. slow don't worry basically last year's quarterfinal conversation I had so <laughs> uh, but they do have Gremio in their group. Gremio, fantastic in recent history in the Copa Libertadores. Three I mean, semis in the spin. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Winners in 2017 yeah. as well. I mean, And the boss is still there. Yeah, you know, which, which is rare in, you know, we talk about Gachado staying for five years or a little bit more now at River, but uh, Renato Gaucho, you know, three. Thank you, Dave. Cheers, yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, yeah, three three semi-finals on the spin. It's incredible. And yes, Flamengo absolutely obliterated them in the second leg of that semi-final. But the first leg was tight. They've kept Everton. Who Everton. you'd think. Yeah. You Lucas know, Silva. Would, Luke, yeah. But I mean, Everton. Let's come he, in. He's the... Yeah, he's the only one that lost was Luan. But, but he was... Si the key man in 2017, but since then didn't get his move and just dropped off the radar, really. So him going to Corinthians Good, yeah. is not the big loss that it would... Certainly not the loss Everton would, would have been, so... Jean-Pierre as well, who's Jean-Pierre still there. Alison's still there as well. Jean-Pierre now, I would have thought as well at his age, is now ready to stop being the exciting young player and now be Gremio, one of Gremio's main men. It was always the centre-forward position that they struggled with. 
in the last year's competition, finding somebody who was going to feed off what Everton and those three behind him were going to provide. Uh, they brought in the 34-year-old experienced Diego Sosa into their uh, Libertadores squad, the 30-man squad. They were all released today. Um, who hasn't exactly banged in the goals in the last few years for either uh, continental competitions or in the league. But it just it seems surprising to me that a side like Gremio, who are a big side in Brazil, obviously they don't have the same financial resources as somebody like Flamengo or someone, haven't gone out and gone and got somebody who is a little higher grade, higher calibre of centre forward. When that was really, that is just the weakest link that they've got in Must their chain. Must have made chain. some cash as well. I mean, three years on the spin in the semi-finals, like you've made some money from that. And to be able to retain the other players around and then not provide a useful servant. I mean, they've got Luciano, who's uh, only made one appearance last year in the Libertadores and I think is set to be a far more central figure in the front line for them in this year's competition. I think he's going to be wearing the number nine jersey, if I recall, as well. Um, but it doesn't. it's still a Gremio side screaming that it hasn't learned from its mistakes, basically, which I think is a naivety that Everton's going to be able to drag them through to somewhere like a semi-final again because that was basically what it was last year he dragged them kicking and screaming through the knockout yeah. stages at times 14 to 1 to win it I like that it's a good little shout yeah same boss they, same uh, squad yeah. and, I, and I think they have enough certainly with that current squad to get through the group and then if you're saying there is a, a lack of somewhere else on the pitch then maybe they can go out in June and find that person pick off somebody who's already yeah. been knocked out of the Libertadores and yeah so Universidad Católica, they had Gremio last year in the group stage. Um, a good little side when Fuenzalida starts playing well. He seemed to be, whenever I covered them, the guy that pulled the strings and, and was the creative spark for them going forward. A fun side to watch, but I don't think they're going to be able to test either of the other two in this group. New manager, honest. though, as well. Ariel Olan has come in, who won the Sudamericana with Independiente in 2017. Uh is a coach that I really rate. So I, 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 they've started the season very well, or started the year very well in Chile. So I think um, they've got a good manager, some decent players. I think um, Fernando San Pedri they brought in from Central is a, is a decent number nine to lead the attack. And I like um, Saavedra, the young central midfield player. So I think they're certainly not a team that you look at as going deep into the tournament, but I certainly think they'll look at the second spot potentially in that group as being one they can challenge for they they fought well in the group last year Rosario Central obviously finished fourth I think it was Universidad Católica were third and yeah. then it was Gremio and uh, Libertad that went through uh, Libertad who completely dropped off in the knockout stages but it wasn't an easy group by yeah. any stretch of the anim imagination that they were knocked out of last year so yeah there may, there may be something that they can if, if Internacional for instance start so sluggishly as they have been in the qualifying stages there, there is certainly a chance that the Chileans could s fill the role that Inter are unable to provide at the moment Predictions? It's got to be the two Brazilians for me. I'm going to go with Gremio and then Catolica. Nice. Stepping out. I'm going with the two Brazilians, I'm afraid. Yeah, just, <laughs> I'm just going to try to be different. Actually, and, and I will say, because I haven't been very impressed with International in the qualifying. Yeah. And, and also, we didn't really mention America de Cali, but they're probably, uh, probably the strongest Colombian team Sure, I'm not going to claim I know too much about them, but what I will say is that they've lost, four, they have never won it, and they've lost in four finals. That has got to sting. 
Yeah. Like, Ollie, you know, I mean, I know you've won the three finals in a row as well. Like the Buffalo Bills did in the uh, NFL. So they okay. lost 85, 86, and 87. Don't know my American sport, but I'll take your, I'll take your word for that. Uh, but American Decali, yeah, lost. lost uh, but also, you, you, I mean, you're a big fan of uh, Italian football. And, like, obviously, you have won the, the Champions League, but they also lost in, what, five, six, seven finals? It's something nuts. Yeah. You have lost in so many finals. I mean, that has just got to really hurt. But, again, because Colombian football... It had that real peak patch in kind of the 90s, didn't it? Yeah, when yeah. there was obviously a lot of money in Colombian football at that time. But I've never really noticed it on this continent. It doesn't transcend the continent. Well, let's go. So now won, it, yeah. won the Libertadores just a few years ago. Um, 2016. Sure, but if you ask a football fan in Europe who Atletico Nacional are... Yeah, no, no. I mean, in terms They'll of... They'll assume the, it's a Spanish side, I imagine. In terms sure. of the, the big the big names tra who translate outside South America then yeah that's so that's certainly true and America de Cali haven't been in this competition for uh, 11 years no no so, so I think them winning the league last season was reward for the fact that they have got it together and I think they go into this year as I say as, as the strongest of the Colombian side so again I, I, you look at that group as I think Gremio being the favourites but I think all three of the other teams will probably be looking at it saying we fancy our chances. I think it's a live group. Is what I think. There's not one that you look at. Saying, There's more in it than meets the eye initially. Yeah, yeah, you reckon? Sure. Then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, F Group F. Mm. Alianza Lima, second in the Peruvian league. Estudiantes de Merida, the second place side in the Venezuelan league. Uh, Nacional of Uruguay, first in the league, and Racing Club, the Argentinian Superliga champions, as well. Uh, start with you Pete on Racing Club and thoughts and prospects for their Libertadores campaign yeah well I mean when I said that River were probably unhappy with their draw I think Racing will have been overjoyed with what they could have potentially got and they ended up getting because I think they're going to look at this group as one which regardless of if they're not as good as they were when they won the Superliga they're going to look at as we should win the group um, they again they've also changed managers since Winning the title. I mean, great name, isn't it? Becca <laughs> Cheche. <laughs> yeah. I've heard it pronounced about a few different, a few different ways though. Uh, Becca Cheche. Becca Cheche. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I always go with Becca Cheche, but I, yeah, I've heard uh, a few differences in the office. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and they won it back in 1967, which is, I mean, that's what two generations of. If yeah, you're a family yeah, yeah. of Racing fans, that's two generations of fans. No, and, and it's always you're up to your granddad then to tell you about them winning the Libertadores. Yeah. And they, they were the first Argentinian team to yeah. then win the Club World Cup. Yeah, because outside their ground, they've got you know a big kind of monument to, which, yeah. which in Europe would seem kind of strange, but obviously here we know that the Club it's World like, Cup is a really, really big yeah. deal, and, and they were the first, the, first the, Argentine side or first South American side to to win the the Club World Cup. Yeah, and so, yeah there's I mean, a big plaque, and it's a, it's the, it's part of their club identity yeah. almost like the first champions sure they beat Celtic um, but and at home they'll be you know that atmosphere that ground yeah and I, and I think the Libertadores for them is it's always been a competition which stings to a little to some extent because of the fact that they're very close rivals Independiente the stadiums literally a you could throw a, throw, yeah. <laughs> throw a tennis ball from one stadium into the other one um, good arm you've got a good arm <laughs> and obviously Independiente the record number of winners for the tournament so it's mere seven so it's one of those things I think for Racing to say okay we're in the tournament this year 
and they're going to hope to go on it. I don't think they have the makings at present of a side that can go and win it. Um, the Argentinian football calendar being almost six months behind a lot of the rest of the continent means that Racing's title win came midway through 2019 to yeah. qualify. So it's a lot happened. March 2020. Yeah, so it, it, it always makes it quite difficult. It's why, obviously, when you look at the people representing Argentina in the 2020 with stories, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, but again, that, that being said, Becker has come in and he's still trying to stamp his identity no, on the side. No, it's not even. So Racing will fancy it against uh, a Nacional side that have a lot of pedigree in Uruguayan football, but... Um, Three-time winners. But last year were completely outclassed by Internacional in the knockout rounds, the first round of knockout stages. Um, Estudiantes de Merida of Venezuela, which is always... Venezuela and Bolivia certainly seem to be, when you're running through any of the teams in this competition, the Bolivians and the Venezuelans always look the least likely to be able to to flourish in the Copa Libertadores, I think. It's a harsh generalisation. No, it's but that's just the realities of the continent, you know. Um, and Alianza Lima, who were shockingly bad last year in this competition. I mean, their biggest moment last year was when Guerrero came back and played in Lima against them for Internacional, and it was almost like a national holiday in the city of Lima, you know. They were but they're always there, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, Alianza Lima, like... 26, 27 times they've been involved in the Libertadores, so yeah. But they, at least recent history, is it's not competitive. They're not going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> Racing a 25 to 1 to win it, by the way. Pete, you don't fancy it though. Not at the moment, but again, when you want to talk about what they could do, I think they tried to do as much as possible to accommodate Becca Sese coming in on a limited budget. I don't think they brought in the players that quite suit what he would want to do, which is a 4 3 3. So they don't have that pace in the attacking wing of positions but they still have a talented group of players that can certainly do enough to get out of this group and then see where they can go just also early what you were saying about you know Venezuela and perhaps sometimes they get and some nations they get overlooked in the Libertadores it would be fantastic to see it's probably not going to happen but it would be fantastic to see a Venezuelan side get out of the groups and you know who knows I mean something like that would be great you know it's especially recently it's been dominated by Argentina Brazilian clubs so well for me I think a, Brazi a Bolivian side would be really interesting because if you have any side that's based out of La Paz in a knockout stage that is a massive yeah. spanner in the works so if you can get a Bolivian side from La Paz out of the group stage then it's suddenly a very difficult place to, yeah. to go and play a leg of knockout football in. Um, if it will happen is a very different question indeed over six group games I don't think any side from Venezuela or Bolivia will have the stamina for it against other teams but Venezuela have got a good recent history of developing youth players yeah, yeah. right this is quite a yeah, yeah, recognised thing on the continent yeah they're really good and so it's not yet translated to the club teams being able to uh -huh. kick on I mean, I mean I think the fact spreading them across different clubs yeah. makes it a little bit difficult um, so yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Estudiantes de Merida surprise anyone in this group but you never know. It is the Libertadores and <laughs> Nunca Sabes. <laughs> so who is going through then? Racing and Nacional. It's got to be. Yeah. General consensus on that one. I like that. Uh, Windsor, take us through, what are we, Group G? Olympia. 
Santos, Delfin, and Defensa y Justicia. Let's see why I left that one. <laughs> I like defense. They're almost as good as Atletico Tucumán. <laughs> defensa y Justicia, yeah. Uh, it's going to be a shame then they're going I mean, out. I get, like, if you're looking for what's the most relatable story from this group, it's Emmanuel Adebayor and Roque Santa Cruz, no? Taking on Hernan Crespo in charge yeah, of, of course, defense. Yeah, Hernan Crespo's a... Who still looks fantastic, doesn't he? When yeah. I saw him on the telly, it was, they played River at the weekend and... Still got Jesus. it. Jesus. I mean, he must be, I don't know, mid-40s? But he still looks great Silver Fox vibe to him, I thought. I'd still have Hernan Crespo as my centre forward over both Roque Santa Cruz and Adebayo. <laughs> right now. Today? Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I, don't think I think Hernan Crespo <laughs> must be pushing 50. Yeah, he's probably not <laughs> lost that finishing touch. And Emmanuel Adebayo and Roque Santa Cruz are only 10 years off him. Like well, Santa Cruz <laughs> is 38, yeah. And yeah, we, we talked about this briefly last week. And Emmanuel Adebayo, which again, I think is a fantastic story for, for Paraguayan football. Like, of course, he's gone to Olympia, Paraguayan club, but he's been brought in for the Libertadores, surely. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, quite why he's there, I, I, I don't... I speculated last week that I heard because he doesn't have to pay any tax there. But, I mean, that could be unfounded, allegedly. But, uh, yeah, quite why he's there, I'm not sure. But he is at Olympia. He will be competing in the Libertadores. And, yeah, it's a fantastic stage for him. And They were a fun side last year as well, Olympia. Really fun. All the, I like all the Asuncion clubs, but yeah. Well, Libertad were pretty dreadful in the end, whereas Olympia at least went out, you know, fell on their sword, but did it in a quite stylish manner, if you will, um, in the first knockout stage. So if they can replicate that and have Adabayor firing in as many as Roque Santa Cruz... Would it's be a, a great It's story. a handful. It's a Would handful be, I mean, anyone. if those two banged in the goals in the Libertadores group stages <laughs> and got out... The, I mean, that is a fantastic story. Because they're both big names in European football. Yeah, I know yeah. it's not all about European football, etc. But if we're no, no, but if we're talking as in stories that are gonna move up and above, and if you want to talk about full length of the pitch and slides <laughs> in front of some Santos fans, kissing the then, yeah. and if you want to talk about marketing for the Libertadores, sure. then Adebayor's move was yeah. brilliant because for one week, even the UK and English-speaking mm. media were, mm. were all talking about a club from Paraguay because. Adabayor had turned up in town and was signing for them. So I, know, I know you've been in Argentina for nearly 10 years, Pete, but Olympia don't get as many column inches in the English media as you might expect. So, yeah, so that was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nice to see them on the BBC Sport homepage. Yeah, well, and Sky Sports News showing him arriving at the airport yeah, and being yeah, mobbed yeah. by nuts, fans and nuts, stuff. Yeah. Absolutely but I mean, we, we've been stung by that before with the Rossi. But you know, I think there's a, there is a greater chance of Adebayor turning up and scoring goals than it was of De Rossi being a marauding playmaker in the heart of a Boca team, isn't uh, there? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, Adebayor's 36. I haven't heard of anything he's done in the last few years. Or I like, think it's going to be very dependent on, his at, on how he applies himself. If he's coming here because there was some financial benefits... Allegedly, I mean, I don't yeah, know. No, I've yeah. heard he's doing it altruistically on no, a no. freebie. So. <laughs> no, but if, if he's coming with... with he's like, desperate to live in Asuncion. Yeah. And he wants to try and win the Libertadores, then maybe we'll see something I, 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 special. Well, because uh, De Rossi definitely did come to Boca. Like, it didn't work out. But he definitely came to Boca for beautiful romantic football reasons. I believe that. No, yeah, I, really, yeah, I, I, yeah, I okay. really believe that's why he came to Boca. Like, it didn't work out. And I hope this, like, if Adebayo was banging in goals in the Libertadores, it would be absolutely fantastic. So, hope it happens and, yeah. Unfortunately, Olympia have to face the Ecuadorian champions, Delphin. Mm-hmm. Defensor Eustitia, who had an excellent performance in the Superliga last year. Not the one that they're just about to finish, but... Yeah. And then... Um, 
and Santos, who snuck in even ahead of Palmeiras into second place after Palmeiras's capitulation in the Brazilian league. Um, again, Santos, a side that I think everybody in Europe will know of and, yeah, and heard of. And if you think macro, then you think Pele, don't you? Yeah. Like if you take the macro perspective of it, then you, yeah, you think Pele. Or more recently, Neymar. Exactly. Yeah. Pele, I'm okay with. Like, Neymar is more of a negative yeah, spin no, on but Santos. It's interesting you say that, Pete, because I don't. Neymar, like, I know Neymar played for Santos, but it doesn't immediately come to my brain yeah, but in that same way. Neymar's breaking through as, like, people really sitting up and spotting this ridiculously talented kid. Was, of course. Was, yeah, yeah. was there. And it punk. Was punk rather than a kid, please. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's a punk. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> like, a bad egg. He was just a bad... Well, you know what? I quite like him. So he wants to take his sister's birthday off and... You know, he wants to party of, a little bit. He's the opinions of Oliver Wilson. <laughs> no, I think... No, I mean, listen, he gets canned... This is a bit... Uh, we've, you know, segued slightly off piece, but... Like, he gets canned in British media, which, like, you've seen Pete, and obviously you've seen Ollie. He gets canned, but I don't know, you know. He's a man in his 20s that wants to enjoy life at the same time as enjoying football. He doesn't owe the world anything, and... You also can't deny, regardless of what if you, what you think of him off the field... Yeah, his talent is... What has he done on the pitch is... Yeah, he's an unbelievable footballer, yeah. yeah. And people slagged him off for leaving Barcelona. Like, I you know, he did that. I do believe he did that for football reasons. You don't think it was to get out of the messy shadow kind of thing? Yeah, which is football reasons. Is it a somewhat selfish football reason? Yeah, I, I see that which, more. Okay, as a it hasn't worked out exactly because of Mbappe and injuries and numerous. And Lionel Messi is Lionel Messi. You can't, yeah. you can't beat that. But at the same time, I do think his, his reasons were honest. And yeah, I've, I've got a soft spot for Neymar. Fair. Um, well, Santos, though, do they make your top two? I'm going to say Olympia and Defensa y Justicia go through. No, yeah, there's no, an idea no, behind what Crespo's doing there. And yeah. They, they were good last night. Like having, I mean, that's the first full 90 minutes Tidy, that yeah. I've had an opportunity to watch. Yeah, I, I, if it had been the Defensa y Justicia side that finished second in the Superliga, okay. I would have said I fancied them to go through because they had Lissandro Martinez, who's obviously gone went to Ajax just afterwards and as, as Sean in Holland um, alongside Alexander Barbosa who, who hasn't kicked on since he went back to River and then to Independiente but it was at the time a brilliant midfield pairing and they've lost they've essentially lost that entire <laughs> entire side they've had to rely on a fresh batch of low knees and everything else new manager as well Becca Sessi we mentioned with Racing was the manager at the time so Hernan Crespo's basically dealing with a completely new pack of cards um, and trying to see what they can do. A player's not tempted to stick about. I mean, with, the, problem, you know, the problem with defence was this year, though, is that it's this very, very small club sure. with very limited history, which is backed by Christian Braganic, who's one of the most powerful agents in Argentina. So he basically runs their transfer policy <laughs> and they have a very much an in and out the exit it, the entrance and exit is just constantly Rotating, revolving. Yeah. It's, uh, players come in on loan or sh very short-term deals and then they get turned around for a profit and they're back out again. And, and we see that every year with Defensive Justicia. Their squad is turned over a huge amount. So they've come into this new 2020 season or halfway through the Superliga season, but still with a new manager and a completely new side, more or less. There's a, f there's a few players that are still there. But they then have to rebuild and hope that they have the same success as they did previously. That's not 
as talented a group of players as they had when they finished second in the Superliga. So I think they're going to struggle. Yeah, I'm Santos and Olympia going through in this group. Yeah, I that's think. mine, my two. I think it's a little cliche to back the Brazilians, but second in the Brazilian league. And Adebayor to score goals, or what do we think? I mean, I know it's hard to... I mean, like I say, I, the before only the time end I of the group stage, I'll have more than Fidel Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the last time I watched him properly was when he was playing in England. So, yeah, you know, it's a while back. But I really, really liked him back then. Really went, liked Went him. to the European footballing graveyard of Turkey, if we uh, yeah, yeah, recall yeah. last week's podcast. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I, I back, I back. If if Olympia can provide enough service for Rocky Santa Cruz to look like a stellar centre forward, still human flick on, I would back Adebayor to be able to, with that same service, be able to score goals. Okay, yeah, and, he, and Rocky is still scoring plenty. Yeah, yeah, so yeah I saw in yeah in domestic league, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's eight and seven games. Or yeah, something yeah, like he's that. still yeah. banging them in. So age is just a number for uh, if you're playing up front for Olympia. Nice. All right, last group. Uh, Boca Juniors, uh, obviously of Argentina. Caracas of Venezuela. Independiente Medellin of Colombia. Is the general consensus is Medellin that we're going for in 2020. Medellin. Oh, no, don't start I mean curveballs. Dim, I mean, uh, apparently you can call oh, them Dim. Oh, Dim, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Libertad of, uh, of Paraguay. The big disappointment, really, in the knockout stages last year. Went out with a whimper against, uh, against Gremio. Boca, of course, semi-finalists last year and arguably the kings of the continent and Argentinian football. They transcend the globe. Uh, Peter Guattas gave you a nasty stare there where you said kings of the Argentinian <laughs> continent. I can see him counting to seven on his fingers. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> Deep breath. I'm just saying that that seven trophies, Mark, isn't going to stand for many more years surely okay. some, how, how well, long Boca haven't won the Libertadores since 2007 no but they trans they are the kings of the continent no, of they're course, the biggest yeah. they're the no. biggest brand arguably <laughs> on this continent yeah, yeah, yeah begrudging yeah. like uh, yeah. Yeah. no 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 <laughs> they're the, the biggest brand though, they are it? the biggest brand it's all <laughs> a conspiracy <laughs> um, this is a this is a group that Boca should should win particularly yeah. eight, they've conceded eight goals yeah, this season like I know we said uh, Alfaro was boring last year with Boca and they played defensive football it was quite negative but they've found now the attacking flair with Miguel Russo and they've maintained that defensive quality which sets you up fantastically for tournament football like this yeah yeah I mean I think that the defensive record has probably pushed Esteban Andrada to the pole position in Argentina as being considered Argentina's best goalkeeper um, obviously, River fans will still debate, and, it, and it's pretty much a toy cost whether you want to mm. say him or Franco Armani. But that defensive record alone is probably enough in a lot of cases to say I think Andrade is now number one, and I think that defensive solidity is a great platform that Boca are able to build on. I don't mm. think Alfaro was the manager to be able to do that, and when times are tough, he could. He was a small, small club. Boss, yeah, and he wasn't able to change the mentality to say, okay we now need to push on and I sure. think we saw so many of his selection decisions during the last Libertadores where he just said that's just not what a manager of Boca Juniors should be doing the main one being Franco Soldano yeah, yeah. being switched to like a mi- almost a midfield option just when to he's a striker, add a body yeah. on the right hand side when the first thing that Russo's done is come in and started playing Soldano as a number nine exactly where he made his name Union. so I think they now do have a manager not necessarily a manager who I think at this time is 
one of the best managers in South America, but I do think is one which is better suited to Boca. And I think we are starting to see Boca, as you said, Oliver is a team that have maintained that defensive structure, but are able to use their attacking options a bit better. And I think Eduardo Salvio and... Good player. The, uh, yeah, I mean, as a coup to the, bring him back to South America at this point of his career, but I think is also a huge bonus now under Russo is the fact that he's now getting much more out of Sebastian Vicha, uh-huh. the Colombian, on the other side. So it gives them two huge outlets with pace to burn, goals, assists, and just a dream for whoever plays as that central striker for Boca. I mean, now but we're seeing Carlos Tevez score a load of goals I was going to well. say, they were saying that since Russo's come back, Tevez is arguably seeing the, the biggest boost of everybody in, in yeah. terms of opportunities in front of goal opportunities to play the main man and, and, and finding uh, the back yeah, of the net as well I mean, although I think Tevez has responded well as well individually I think the key is just the fact that there's now so many more players around him in the attacking third and there's now chances being created from those wide areas that Tevez is able to find spaces especially because he's been playing off Soldano or Juan Chopi Abela, whoever they want to play as the central nine. But Tevez is then able to operate in some little spaces around the penalty box, finding opportunities created from wide and flourish. And I think as a result, Boca are in a good position going into the group stages to say, OK, we've got more than enough to go through to the knockout stages. But a canter uh, yeah, yeah. in this I group, mean, isn't it? I mean... Should be. You, they, it should be. It should be. What I mean, we saw Independiente Medellin in the in the they came through the qualification. Um, I actually quite liked them until I saw them in Tucumán, where they did squeeze through eventually in the north of Argentina in the second leg of that qualification game. But uh, in general, I liked Independiente Medellin. I don't know whether you guys. Oh no, I did the did the game with you because yeah, yeah. you saw them in in Tucumán. But I, I like the left back Gomez. I thought he's really sharp. Caicedo was the number nine. It's a nice focal point. So. I think there's something there. I was really disappointed with how they played against Atletico Tucumán. It was just really... Played within themselves. You yeah, mean. it was just defensive. It was like they had a goalie to protect and they thought they could and you know they conceded and eventually had to squeeze through via a penalty shootout. But uh, I would be... I think at home as well, Independiente, Independiente Medellín could, could cause problems to Boca. Weakest, though, of the four qualifiers? Correct. So uh, uh, the ones that went through? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Three. I, three well, or four. Three uh, or Barcelona, four. I can't remember how many... Barcelona, <laughs> Guarani, uh, Independiente Medellin, and... Internacional. Internacional. So yeah, easily but, forgotten Internacional. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think that's... Probably the weakest. When you look at, back over those, that's why Barcelona shines so brightly, though, for me, because there's question marks of the other three, but I thought Barcelona were flawless, flawless. really, mm. as you went through the, the three rounds. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, David, in terms of... Independiente Medellin were very disappointing in how they got past Atletico Tucumán and let's be honest it's a limited Atletico Tucumán side yeah. they've got a physical awkward Hit way of Toledo playing and, yeah. but they didn't take full advantage at home and then away was very very poor really hung on in the end to just take its penalties and then came through but it wasn't a performance which I think many of the other teams in that group now will be looking at saying oh we, we've got to be careful about them I mean it wasn't them on their best we didn't see really Andres Recaute at all we know he's a talented playmaker um, Reina started on the bench which is a weird one very odd that um, very and made a difference odd. when he came on and they yeah. suddenly looked a bit dangerous um, so I, I would hope that's a lesson learned going into the group stages that Reina should start but I think you look at it group as being Boca and one other 
which I would imagine Libertad would kick themselves if they don't get through that. Yeah. They will fancy their chances um, and, and expect almost to be second. Yeah, there's in a nice um, subplot there as well. Ramon Diaz is now the manager of Libertad. Obviously, River Plate icon, so automatically a hated figure for Boca, and will be going to enjoy his. Libertad, so <laughs> <laughs> that will be interesting, those Boca Libertad games. And um, potentially as well, c- could be huge in terms of deciding maybe winners or maybe even second place in that group. Anything else to add, wouldn't you? No, uh, for me, Boca go through, obviously. And I'm going to say Independiente Medellin to go through. Fair. Uh, Boca and Libertad for me. Yeah, it's got to be for me. I think I'm being quite bland, to be honest, with a lot of my like top twos. Got to play it safe. Yeah, just stay the course. So those are the predictions for the group. But at the very start of the talk, well, not the very start because of qualification, but at the very start of the group stages, we may as well have a little predictions for the winner, the top scorer, and the dark horse. So top, let's top scorers like. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> let's start with the winner. Let's start with the winner, Mr. Wilson. I. I was thinking about this just walking over here today and I really want to say anyone else but Flamengo and I was looking down the list and I was thinking because I, I, I don't want to say Flamengo it's too easy right mm. like they're the richest club they're the best club and I, I thought who else could win it and I was looking at but I, it, it's irresponsible not to say Flamengo if someone says who do you think is going to win the Libertadores I think Flamengo retain it because they are by far the best side Yes, I know that in the final, River were great against them for 89 minutes and they could have gone, you know, they could have been uh, knocked out. They're, they're, a def- they're a side, though, that are more susceptible defensively now. Pablo Marie leaving is big. Make no mistake about it. Like, I know they got in Leo Pereira and uh, Gustavo Henrique, but yeah. Because for me, I know Rafinha and Felipe Luis are big names. Well, they're getting on. I, I don't, I've never thought they were that great. I quite like Felipe Luis. Uh, they're point. both solid and they've got great European experience and I like the keeper and I like Flamengo going forwards and I like Pablo Marie, but you take Pablo Marie away from that and that's the only tiny question mark. But if you think that of all the clubs in South America, for me, that's the only small question mark for Flamengo and all the other clubs have like massive question marks around loads of aspects of their play. So, I mean, for me, Flamengo win the 2020 Libertadores in the Maracanã and retain the title for the first time since Boca 20 years ago. It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful no. story. Yeah, the richest club spends all the money. And the <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, for that reason, <laughs> it, it's also di- it is difficult to argue strongly against that because I think they are favourites for a reason. But do it, Pete, do it. No, no, I mean, if you're looking at f- who could go on and win it, I think you do have to actually genuinely look at Flamengo, and then Argentina's big two. Yeah. But who who does win it for you, Pete? I mean, if you're going to be putting a name well, I mean, straight down. I would say River's chances depend this on This is Marcel- very fence city. Marcelo Gachado. Gachado <laughs> stays beyond June to, to go into the latter stages. And I think River have to be considered strong favourites. Wow. Yeah, Stronger I mean, than Flamengo. Or so I mean that if River if Gachado's still there, the last five River. finals, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I also think, when, when, as we said before, River's business dealings in the transfer window are dependent on that. So it's going to be like, do you, do you get think to the end of June? See, sorry, but do you think that Gachado could leave in the summer? Then you think he wins the Superliga, wraps it up, big European club, you know, a Paris Saint Germain, Barcelona, I think calling he's got no, no, because I think 
the, the calendar difference between Argentina and Libertadores makes that difficult for that reason because does he win the Superliga okay. and then takes River through the groups exactly. of the Libertadores and then says look and I've then done there's an expectation then River win the Libertadores but he d- does he then say oh at that point no I don't think I probably not I think but he, what I, if that right job comes in? Because yeah, surely the River fans... He stays till 2021. But I, just, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know if he stays... Well, yeah. that's what the, that's I what don't I've know if he told. stays until the contract end, whenever, if it's June 21. Yeah, with your but taxi think, driver inside. Mate, that's <laughs> but I think he stays until the end of 2020 because it would be very difficult to leave at the end of the group in Libertadores. Even if Barcelona come and say... Well, that's why I, I think if he gets them through the group stage... And a big European name comes in. How Shadow has, as in like a Champions League potential winning side. So like a big name, Barca, PSG, somebody like that. So a really big club. Yeah, yeah, a big club. Not, um, not a West Ham. No, 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 no. Not West Ham, not an Everton. Like top four in England, well, the thing top is, three Shadow's already shown Italy. anyway. He's not one of those managers in South America who's looking just to jump at the first opportunity of the few dollars. Mm. So he's looking for a project. So I don't think he's going to be intrigued by someone who just suddenly comes pops up and says oh yeah. oh we need a manager you've done quite well can we but if he gets you this money, if so he gets them through the group stage and that right job comes up i think he would feel that it's acceptable to go at that yeah, time because yeah. he would say look i have put you into the knockout but stage he'd already of the tournament. Done that i've when, done everything but i mean he'd done that when he beat uh, boca in madrid so i mean he'd already done whatever he there was no reason for him to stay beyond that but yeah he did. except but those you were saying the for, job didn't for all we come know, up, those, so. yeah, th- that job didn't show. For all we know, I don't think he leaves. I think he leaves in 2021 when the contract's done. Yeah. But anyway, uh, anyway yeah, we, I think we still haven't got to hate on, he, on he, a he's name. Gonna win like one one team. Team. I thought we were going to move on. <laughs> 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 no, no, I'll go. I'll go with River then. I'll go with River. Then, okay, then, nice. Jesus, nice. I mean, if River won it under Gachado and and reached their fourth final in six years and won their third in six years, I mean, that would be. Well, why, why then would without a big spending side any not... money? Without spending any money. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll see River spend a bit of money in June. Why haven't they spent? Like, if they've reached three out of the last five finals, why no, because they... the, co- the and economy... they sold Palacios for money. Yeah, but I think the economy in Argentina is such that clubs have been hit hard because they've been offering contracts previously in dollars. In okay, and it's just made it very difficult for them to spend a lot of money in the. But they haven't spent any money. Yeah, yeah, but they also didn't. Are get they in debt, River, or are they just? I don't know if they. I mean, all the Argentinian clubs <laughs> run day by day, more or less. So it's not a case of they have this stockpile sure. of money to spend on players. I think they just need to be cautious. Obviously, supporters are more pressing and would, would want them to spend the Palacios money straight away. But you know, maybe there is some. Maybe there is a thought behind the fact that we didn't get. They didn't get the money they should have got for a player of Palacios's quality. They got. People really rate Palacios. Yeah, I don't know. I saw a fair bit of him in 2019, and I thought, eh. I think eh. for a player that can do a lot of different jobs in midfield, how's he done at Leverkusen? I haven't followed him there. He's only just started playing, so he hasn't done enough to say he's looked great. I, on his Bundesliga debut the last weekend was very, very good, um, but it's not. A, it's way too sure. early to be I saying. Mean, oh, you know, I probably saw Palacios 10, 20 times. But You've seen him for, for years. So what I, I would know. say is if, what did they end up paying? Like 10, something like that? Yeah, anyway, le- less than 
well under twenty million dollars. Yeah, yeah. For a player who's now already a international, Copa Libertadores winner, um, eh. it's not a lot of money. That's a it, it's not a lot of money. Nothing for a European club. Yeah, for a European to take a club, chance. it's nothing. German clubs don't, you know. It's let's not get on. Clubs. Let's not get on German football. Yeah, right let's now, not talk about European football. This is the Libertadores. Anyway, okay, so who, sorry, you River going to yeah, win yeah. the, the Libertadores twenty twenty? Yeah. I say Flamengo, Oli. Yeah, and it's going to be a side in Buenos Aires that wins it, and Jesus. it's going to be the blue and yellow, and it's going to be Boca. It's a huge statement. Wow. There yeah. You go. Based on what? Based on their based aside, on five years of disappointment. Based on a they're a side that have still maintained that defensive quality that I reckon they particularly in the Bombonera that. They're exceptional at home anyway, but they would be able to smother a side like Flamengo. Do you really believe this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oli, if like, <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, if someone's got a gun to your head, who's going to win the 2020 Libertadores? You're yeah, saying I'm, I'm going with Boca. From what you've seen in the last 12 months, you're saying no, Boca I mean, Juniors. Listen, they but got yeah, they, they basically last year they were an exceptionally good defensive side and then got undone by their local rivals who know them better than anybody else. Who right? are way better than them. But they haven't had. They didn't have a attacking <laughs> bone. Are. But they didn't have an attacking bone in their body last year, and yeah, they've no, and no. they've changed that I'm now. Gonna, and I'm now gonna, they have an attacking I'm stick quality. Up for Oliver here in the fact that they did give River a very good tie over two legs, without really ever, as you say, going at them. And I think if they had had someone, a manager who was a bit more adept to be able to say. We need, well, I mean, got so what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, a Boca fan. Rather big Boca fan at the bar. Why do you think I'm into the bar? <laughs> now you understand and my no, selection. You know what, actually, I'd like to say that my <laughs> back is to that and Ollie can see exactly what's going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Boca Juniors are definitely going to win the 20 way in the best <laughs> No, but I just think, I just think they're, they're a, a team that are fantastically set up defensively and at home have a, a almost impenetrable fortress. And now they've got an attacking quality going forward to them. I mean, one thing that you'd say about Cerro Porteño last year was that they didn't shine that many times. But when they played River, for instance, they gave them a fantastic go, particularly attacking-wise, in that second leg in, in Asuncion against River. So, yeah. I, so, I th- so basically, what, what you two... Are, I mean, I know I'm you, saying, you back I'm River to it, but Oli, what you're saying is that you think that Russo has made because it's not like they've signed four great attacking players no, so you're saying that the manager therefore is, is going to take Boca from years of disappointment to Libertadores yeah, glory you, you've for got the first time you've got since the founda- you've got the foundations laid with Alfaro and now Russo's bringing the attacking flair and quality yeah, and, and also when you, when you say Libertadores disappointment it's worth saying that it's not like Libertadores wilderness it's been there or thereabouts semi-finals <laughs> last year final before that yeah that's what I mean so it, but, but it's for not Boca like Juniors which no, is that's the, obviously not enough. They haven't won it since no, 2007. No, no, yeah. That's not enough. But it's not a m- massive step Boca up. Boca fan coming. <laughs> it's not a m- ridiculous step to consider moving from semi-finals finalists to winning it. Yeah. I mean... And they've got Abila, Wanchope. <laughs> they've got Tevez. Yeah. They've got Hatada. They've no, got and, goal and scorers. I Salvio's I also think they're another club when you want to talk about splashing in June that you'll see Boca do that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, fine. One job, I have a great goal the other day. On the weekend? Yeah. I haven't seen the highlights yet. Or the weekend before, come <laughs> no, no, on. No, yeah, the acrobatic. Yeah, 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 Friday night. Oh, the sorry, bicycle yeah. kick. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so those, uh, So what about dark horses? Like, pick one club that is going to surprise <laughs> Barca. I'm going to say Barcelona. <laughs> 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 it's got to be, man. It's fucking brilliant. Olympia. 
Olympia go further than you'd expect. Like Rocket Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah. the Adebayo Rocket Santa Cruz. And, and, I, and I really enjoyed the football they played last yeah, year. Yeah, okay. Uh, and top scorer? I mean, Make isn't it, it well. done? So Fidel Martinez, which you say from Barcelona, has already scored eight goals in qualification. And when you rack up, like, they count, right? Pete? The last, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the so last, like, eight or nine top scorers in the competition have been on nine to ten goals yeah Gabby Gold got nine last year like nobody it's been a long time since anybody went through like with 15 I think that was back in like the 1970s or something like but that but I think Gabby Gold could score 10 plus this year really yeah yeah, yeah. he could, he yeah, could. Yeah, yeah. if he stays on the pitch long enough well <laughs> yeah I mean that I think Fidel's obviously a huge shout because he's got eight already he makes them or something <laughs> <laughs> Fidel Martin <laughs> yeah because as we found like in common. Manuel Martinez <laughs> as well, not Emmanuel exactly. Martinez. It's a bit annoying when they have two <laughs> in similar positions. Um, having eight is obviously a pretty big step towards being top scorer already. Six games, but yeah. to some extent, it's going to depend on how Barcelona perform in the group stages mm. and if they progress. Um, Player of the tournament? Well, you think Boca are going to win it, so presumably yeah, but you're going to pick it's a hard, it, Yeah, but it's hard to look past Bruno Enrique just being the sensational talent that he is. I, I, He's a joy to watch. And he's he's still one of the few players on this continent that I think would actually do very well in European football. So, yeah, I go with Bruno Enrique again. He set a tone last he's year. He's fantastic. Mm. Yeah. That can literally do it all. I'm going to agree with Wilson. I think Bruno Enrique's... I mean, five goals, five assists last year. It was unbelievable. And I think he could do the same, yeah. I also really like William Aral, but he's not going to be voted the best player mm. in the tournament because he's a defensive midfielder. So who for River? Like if River are going to win it, Pete, then uh, should speak a little bit quieter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll turn the mic levels up so <laughs> that you me, can whisper. Try to get me beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> if River win it, then I don't know, Porre or someone's got to score a lot. Yeah, of goals. yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the game of the weekend they just drew. Porre was suspended. Yeah, and I think it showed. Even though I liked Coco a lot, but yeah, yeah, but I, I think in terms of, I, I'm still not overly convinced that Borre is someone who's going to go to Europe and be a prolific goal scorer but I think in Gachado's high press with Suarez doing all the dirty sets, work around him sets the tone of like from the from the very front of how to play um, yeah. and has been instrumental in certainly in 2020 and then pushing for the league title so I think Borre uh, is vital and then you know it's not a particularly fashionable pick but I think Enzo Perez was so important for how River played leading to the final last year yeah. and it's still a key man um, for River now. So What about Nico De La Cruz with the breakout? Uh, yeah. You know what? No one, like, we've always liked him, Ollie, right? Because mm. we arrived Straight a, off a the year bat, ago. Yeah. But when we arrived <laughs> a year ago, no one no, no one no, rated no, exactly. him. No one rated because apparently he'd been pretty crap yeah, before yeah. then. And slowly, only in the past few months have I seen kind of people say, oh yeah, Nico De La Cruz is good. But when we arrived, then I was like, he's great, straight away. No yeah, one yeah. else rated him. And I think, that, I think that's the key. If you arrived... If, Two you, years if ago. you started watching River one year ago, you'd be like, who's their best player? Probably, maybe, well, maybe Nicolas de la Cruz. He's amazing. Yeah. But for anyone else who's watched him since he signed, <laughs> will have been really frustrated by the fact that he came with quite a lot of promise, never really showed it. To the point where I, I would have thought before 2019, if a good offer came in for him, a lot of River fans would have said, get rid of him, because he's not showing anything near what we expected. 2019 was phenomenal yeah. and now he is mm. a key and man 22 23 i mean yeah, yeah. there's a lot of so a lot you're of right in saying 2020 wheels. is a massive year for dela cruz yeah. because 
at what point, Pete, does he go from being, oh, yeah, De La Cruz is as good as Nacho Fernandez or the other, to be like, okay, De La Cruz is the man for River, offensively. Well, I, I think he's, he's now in that bracket. Pretty close, right? Yeah, and you just, oh, yeah, you just mentioned another person that we have to say in the shout, Nacho mm. Fernandez. Nacho Fernandez is arguably the best player. The Thomas Muller of... In Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... An oversight on my part, not to mention him talking about River, but Nacho. No, Fernandez. but it's easy not to because he's kind of yeah, yeah, a bit exactly. unsung, it's, maybe. And, it's, yeah. and it's a side lifted with talent at the end of the yeah. day. Like. Okay, so Boca River Flamengo. That's who we think is going to win the so Libertadores. When, when it's like Liga de Quito, we can all hang our heads in shame. Yeah, but actually, yeah. even though I think Flamengo will win it, I would love and I want, because I'm a complete neutral in this race, right? I've got no allegiance to any club in South mm. America, really. So I would love a club from outside Argentina and Brazil to win it. My pick gives me no joy. I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to point that out. Big thanks for listening to Wilson Windsor Libertadores podcast. Obviously a long one with the Libertadores group stage just around the corner. But hopefully that's given you an idea of what could be happening this year in the 2020 Copa Libertadores. Remember, you can download the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, our host, Spotify, and all other good podcasting outlets as well. You can email us at willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow David on Twitter at David T. Windsor. You can follow myself, uh, O underscore J underscore Wilson. You can follow Mr. Peter Coates at Golazo Argentino. And of course, Joel Richards as well at Joel underscore Richards. Use the hashtag LibertadoresPod to send us any questions via Twitter. And we'll be back after the first round of group games to break down and see if any of our predictions have stood up to the opening games of the 2020 Libertadores. Libertadores.